Welcome to Studies in the Scriptures with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, a broadcast ministry of Return to the Word and made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome back to Studies in the Scriptures. We are back in Ruth chapter 2, where Ruth could not simply believe the grace and mercy being shown to her. Despite the different nationality, despite the barriers in social class, remember at this point, Boaz knew that she was a relative, but she did not. And so we start with our text in Ruth 2, verse 14, where the Bible says, Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Now a little bit of time has passed between verse 13 and verse 14 in chapter 2. The New King James says, Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, This is a new conversation. Remember the differences in meals for them. We tend to just eat quick so we can get on with our day, but meals were an opportunity to express hospitality. Meals were an opportunity to celebrate special occasions. It was a time of fellowship. It was an opportunity to spend time with those people that you cared about. But what is remarkable in verse 14, Boaz sat and ate with the hired help, the people hired to reap the fields. This is not an arrogant man. He had compassion. He had concern for others. But it gets even better. He told Ruth to come over by them. A woman from Moab would know that tradition taught she was to keep her distance. She was an outsider. She was a stranger. We don't know if she had food with her, but I doubt it. She was poor. And when she first started the day in the first part of the chapter, Ruth wasn't even sure if she could find someone who would let her glean in the fields. Boaz offered for her to eat of the bread and for her to dip the bread in the vinegar. This would have been a sauce to moisten up the bread and spice it up a little bit. And then he goes further here. Boaz actually handed her some of the parched grain or the roasted grain. He handed it to her himself. Now, roasted grain was a normal part of their diet, and it was something that was commonly sold in the marketplace in their day. This was a big deal. A wealthy landowner, part of the upper class, eating with his workers, inviting a foreign woman to eat with them, and personally handing her food. Boaz cared more about the people than social rules. I love that about him. And look at the end of the verse. She ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Not just that she had too much. It means that she saved some for Naomi. Just a simple meal, but Boaz stepped up and showed compassion and acceptance. But knowing where the story is headed, what's missing from the text that some people might expect. We read, Nothing of any romantic attraction between the two. Given the social and racial barriers that separated the two of them, it's doubtful that the thought would have even crossed Ruth's mind. I think at this point she was thinking of Boaz just simply as a nice man sent by God to provide for her. In verse 15, she gets up to glean even before the young men get back to work. And the text says, And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also, let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. 
Boaz tells them, let her glean among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. Now imagine if you were reading this for the first time, especially back in the old times, before TV, before all the media today. You see the storyline developing, and verse 16 builds on it. Let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. See, these men had been hired by Boaz. No doubt they would have felt that they belonged there, but that Ruth, she did not. And after all, she showed up uninvited, and now Ruth was allowed to pick up grain that they were supposed to drop for her. You can imagine, it would have been easy for these men to be jealous. And notice at the end of verse 16, do not rebuke her. The number of times Boaz warns his men to leave her alone gives us a picture how bad it easily could have been. They could have shamed her, taunted her, and could have pointed out over and over that she was just a woman from Moab. Then our next three verses, starting in verse 17, tell us, So she gleaned in the fields until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought it out and gave it to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. How long did she work? Well, she gleaned in the fields until evening. Ruth was not afraid of hard work. She would have either used a stick or a flail to beat out the grain from the heads of the barley. Don't get stuck on the measurements here. Different calculations come up with different numbers for what an ephah was. One number says about 22 liters or 5.8 gallons. Some say as much as 36 liters. The point is, either way, it was a lot. This was an incredible amount for one day's work, gleaning from the fields. This is after she beat the grain out of the heads of the barley. This was the actual amount of grain that she had. This much grain would have weighed somewhere between 30 to 50 pounds, or about half a month's wages that she was able to gather in just one day. Just to give you an idea how much this was, based on 1 Samuel 17, an ephah of grain could feed 50 fighting men. But I would say that the hired men followed Boaz's instructions, allowing Ruth to take home a fair amount of grain for one day's efforts. Ruth had to take this grain home somehow. Verse 18 has Ruth picking up the grain and heading back to Bethlehem. Ruth showed Naomi all that she had gleaned, and notice the wording, Ruth brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. Now, my understanding is that this part of the verse is not really a reference to grain that she had taken home at the end of the day, but rather this ties us back to verse 14, where we read that she was satisfied and kept back some of the meal that she did not eat. This was the roasted grain, the bread and the vinegar from the meal that she had before. And so what I'm saying is not only did Ruth come home with an ephah of grain, but she brought home some of the food left over from the meal with Boaz. The girl had leftovers. The reaction in verse 19 from Naomi is understandable. Notice what she said. Where have you gleaned today and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. 
Do you see the excitement here in the text? They recognize the blessing of God, and the storyline makes the dramatic point. The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And then verse 20 tells us, Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Naomi thanked God for Boaz. She thanked God for his kindness. I really think she got it. She understood that Ruth coming across the fields of Boaz was a demonstration of God's grace. The Lord had shown his kindness to the living. Who's that? Well, that's both Ruth and Naomi and the dead, which would have been Malon, Ruth's husband. In the second half of verse 20, the King James nails this right on. Listen how the King James reads it. It says, the man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. The wording used points to one of the most important themes in this book, which is the idea of a kinsman redeemer. It brings up this idea of a close relative that is responsible for the well-being of someone in their extended family, especially when the relative is facing a hardship that they have no solution for, that they cannot solve themselves. So what does this idea of a kinsman redeemer include? Well, the redeeming role of a close relative is laid out in the Old Testament for us. Jot some of these verses down. Leviticus 25 teaches us that part of the role is to make sure that the land or property of a clan would never pass out of the family. We learn in Leviticus 27 that part of the role was to buy back those in the family that sold themselves into slavery because of poverty. Numbers 35 uses the same Hebrew word as that of a kinsman in this passage for the avenger of the blood, telling us that part of the responsibility in that day of the kinsman was to track down and execute the murderer of a family member. Numbers chapter 5 teaches us that the kinsman would also receive restitution money on behalf of a dead victim of a crime. And finally, passages like Psalm 119 and Jeremiah 50 teach us that part of the role of the kinsman would be to make sure that justice would be served in a lawsuit involving a relative. See, the families and clans of Israel were to look out for the well-being of one another. And if you had offended or wronged a person, it was considered that you had wronged each person of their family. So let's head over to Deuteronomy 25. We just looked at this passage a few studies ago, but I want us to look at it again. And as we have made mention before, the kinsman redeemer had the responsibility when a husband would die without leaving behind any children. Deuteronomy 25 makes it clear that an unmarried brother of the deceased was to marry the widow. Notice again what we read starting in verse 5. It says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. The brother-in-law had the obligation of marrying the widow to keep the family name from dying out. But what would happen if the brother-in-law would refuse to marry the widow? Verses 7 through 10 have that answer. 
It says, but if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come up to him in the presence of the elders. Remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. This is a fascinating and interesting passage all in itself, because part of the goal was to put pressure on the man to do the right thing. First, the elders of the city would talk to him, and then if he would still not obey, the man would be insulted publicly before the elders by having the woman remove his sandal and spit in his face. And from then on, this man was to be remembered as a man that would not fulfill his obligations before the Lord. Heading back to the book of Ruth, something was different from between what we just read in Deuteronomy 25 and the book of Ruth. Because Boaz was a kinsman redeemer, but he was not a brother of Ruth's deceased husband. Boaz was related, but not as a brother-in-law, which gives us some understanding that during the time of the judges, this practice extended beyond just brothers. But notice again the wording in verse 20 at this statement that Naomi makes. This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives or as the King James puts it, one of our next kinsmen. Notice she says, our next kinsmen. See, the wheels were already beginning to spin for Naomi as hope had set in. And as she was beginning to see that God had not forsaken them. With verse 21, Ruth adds to the good news, almost like she was telling Naomi, guess what else he told me? You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all the harvest. It's possible here that Ruth still didn't fully comprehend what Naomi was getting at because with a kinsman redeemer, they weren't going to have to worry about their entire future. But Ruth she seems kind of fixated on the here and now that they would not have to worry about food for the entire season, that it was not just food for a day, but she could glean from the field like she had done for the entire barley harvest and the entire wheat harvest. In verse 22, with some of the wording that Naomi uses in the Hebrew, it gives us a hint that Naomi was worried about Ruth's safety because notice in verse 21, Ruth said he told her to stay close by my young men. And in her response, Naomi told her in verse 22, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. Boaz offered his protection in the fields for Ruth. It was good for her if she did not go out into the other fields to be harassed by the men in the fields. Verse 23 ends the chapter. It says, So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Ruth stayed close to the young women that worked for Boaz, gleaning in the fields until both the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And just what we know from their harvest, Ruth, she must have been out in the field for six or seven weeks. 
Now, as we crack open chapter three, I want you to keep in mind that several weeks have gone by since the events of chapter two. And verse one of chapter three tells us, then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. The events of chapter three are taking place after all the barley and wheat had been cut and gathered at the threshing floor. Many speculate after the events of chapter two, why it is that Naomi didn't have Ruth act quicker? Why didn't she advise her daughter-in-law until now to move forward with pursuing Boaz? Well, it could have been that she was waiting until the harvest was over, and it could have been that she was waiting to see if Boaz would act on his own. Boaz, on the other hand, he was quite a bit older and may have had his own reasons for not acting further as a redeemer. But with the time that had passed, it became clear to Naomi that Boaz was not going to act, so she took the matter into her own hands. And she asked Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? A secure future would be in the home of a loving husband. And nothing is said in this verse about feelings. Nothing is said in this verse about how Ruth felt about Boaz. Whether or not they had things in common, whether or not this would make Ruth happy, or whether or not they were in love. The entire focus was survival on the basics of life. Food, clothing, and shelter would only be found on a consistent basis if Ruth had a husband. Something else is missing in this statement. There is no mention of providing an heir to the family name. No mention of securing the place of Milan's family name by having a son that would be named after him. In that environment, in that culture, the concern of the family name was more for the men to worry about. The women were more focused on the immediate needs of life. And the answer of the question in verse 1 would have been an obvious yes by Ruth. In the culture, it would have been part of the duty of a widowed mother-in-law to try to secure the welfare and security of the widowed daughter-in-law. So the concern on the part of Naomi seems to be more about the long-term welfare of Ruth than her own well-being. And in verse 2, Naomi brings up our man Boaz and points out the fact with the wording used that Boaz was more than just a relative. Boaz was their kinsman. Boaz had a responsibility to them. And at some point, Naomi must have sat Ruth down and taught her about the kinsman-redeemer relationship that the Hebrew people had. In the second half of verse 2, she reminds Ruth that Boaz would be winnowing barley that night at the threshing floor. Barley was typically threshed at the onset of the dry season, which would be late May to June. When all the grain, both the barley and wheat, was cut and gathered, the best threshing floors involved rock outcrops on hilltops. The rocky surface would keep the grain free of dirt and would enable them to sweep up the grains at the end of the day. The hilltop location was needed to take advantage of the wind that would blow away the chaff when the grain was tossed into the air with a fork, allowing the kernels of grain to fall to the floor while the chaff would simply blow away. This particular threshing floor was probably located close to the fields that Boaz owned, which would have been away from the town of Bethlehem itself. If the winds in the daytime were too gusty, sometimes they would work at night, taking advantage of a steady evening breeze. 
verse 3 says, Therefore wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Verse 3 probably seems comical to us, but think of the practical situation here. First, she needed to take a bath. Second, she needed to anoint herself with perfume. In that day, it would have been perfumed olive oil. Remind yourself that they didn't have deodorants to combat body odors, and it was summertime in a warm climate. The garment she was to put on would have been a garment that covered almost her entire body except for her head. She wasn't trying to seduce Boaz with seductive clothing, but at the same time, she didn't want to repulse the guy by smelling foul. I think the New King James makes a mistake here in inserting the word best that she was to put on her best garment. The word for garment used is a reference to an outer garment. So just remind yourself that Exodus 22 makes it clear that poor people use their outer garment as a blanket at night. Ruth was poor, very poor, and she was going to spend the night out in the field. Naomi was simply telling her to wear her outer garment so she would have it for sleeping in because it would cool down at nighttime. Notice Naomi told Ruth in verse 3 to go down to the threshing floor. Understand that these towns were walled in for protection and for defensive purposes. They were usually situated on top of a hill. To Naomi telling Ruth to go down makes sense because it seems that Bethlehem was situated on a hill at that time. And normally the landowners and the workers would go out into the fields in the morning and return as the sun was going down to the protection of the village at night. But it seems that an exception was made when the crops were at the threshing floor because they would often sleep there to protect their crops, not only from the thieves, but also from wild animals. Notice the instruction at the end of verse 3, not to make herself known until he had finished eating and drinking. Boaz had been working all day and he would want to have his meal before being approached about anything serious like this. In verse 4, we read that Ruth was to watch, not make herself known, but she was to watch where he would lay down. And verses 4 and 5 then teach us, then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. Verse four is probably a reference to the importance of not carrying out the plan with the wrong man when it was dark. It was a big enough surprise for Boaz, but it would have been an even bigger surprise for a worker from the field. Then Ruth was to uncover his feet, lie down, and he would then tell her what to do. And here is where we get ourselves into an interesting discussion from what we can tell from the historical context. There were all sorts of things that went on at the threshing floor. During this time when the men were staying at the threshing floor overnight, the prostitutes, they they knew that the men were spending the night in the fields next to their piles of grain. And quite often they would go out and offer their services. So out of this historical context, and because of some of the wording used, many allegations have been made that this was something worldly and sinful that was taking place. But notice with me in this passage that the focus is not on Naomi setting up a one-night stand between Ruth and Boaz. Her concern in verse 1 was that she had no husband. 
It's amazing that Naomi instructed her to wait for the instructions from Boaz, giving us the indication that either Naomi knew that Boaz was an honorable man or she was putting her trust in the Lord. This was actually quite the gamble. First, Boaz could have woken up in the middle of the night taking her actions as that of a prostitute and gone ahead and gone through with it. Keep in mind that this was during the dark days of the judges when Men and women were not exactly walking with the Lord. Secondly, Boaz could wake up and think she is offering the services of a prostitute. But by being a godly man, he could have chased her off, ruining her chances for the future. Or third, he could wake up in the middle of the night and recognize the true meaning of her actions. Keep in mind, in this situation, it would be a woman proposing to a man a younger person proposing to an older person. And the risk was great that Boaz would wake up in a groggy state and truly not understand the intent of what was taking place. Naomi and Ruth had seen the hand of God at work in their situation. Their trust in the Lord seems to be growing throughout this text. And this seems to be another example of their trust in the Lord. And we see in our last verse that Ruth agrees to Naomi's plan. And we're going to take a deeper look in our next study at the practice and custom of why she uncovered his feet and what this meant to Boaz. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path.